Hey and welcome to episode 16 of Investing Scale. This is your host Gabriel Murillo and in today's episode we have Jaime Arias. He's an acquisition entrepreneur who completed his first seven-figure acquisition in the past two years and he is an engineer by trade, Harvard MBA graduate and he found acquisition entrepreneurship, he fell in love with it and now he's on a journey of growing his online business and potentially buying more businesses. So we get to talk about the search process, setting up the business criteria, how that evolved for him, also the challenges ahead, and what made him really make the decision to pursue this acquisition. Enjoy, thanks. Hey, Jaime, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Awesome, man. Well, you are in Puerto Rico right now. Yes, that's correct. Exciting. Well, I know we connected, uh, I think about a year ago, or maybe a little bit sooner than that. But the fact that, you know, we are in this Facebook groups, you ended up jumping on a call with me and truly helping me. So I really appreciate you doing that. And I'm glad to have you in the show. No, thanks for having me. Good deal. Well, let's start with uh, sharing a little bit about, you know, your background and how you ended up deciding to jump into acquisition, you know, and buying a business. Yeah, sure. So I'm from Puerto Rico. I'm, I'm not just here for the tax incentive. So I'm actually from here. I grew up here. I went to school here, did engineering, mechanical engineering. And when I graduated from mechanical engineering school here, I moved to the States and started working as a mechanical engineer in Alabama. Worked there for quite a few years, for five years. until so I decided, I, I mean, I knew pretty quickly once I got there that I wanted to do something different. And the opportunity that I, that I saw at the time was I, w- I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do to get out. I didn't want to so much to get out of engineering, but I knew I wanted to come back to Puerto Rico at one time. And what I was specializing in, which was nuclear power, wasn't going to allow me to do that. And so I started researching different options and I found out about business school, which I didn't even know was a thing. I didn't know people did, you know, took two years out of their professional career and went back to school because that, that sounded pretty much like a vacation. And I, I sounded appealing to me, so I decided to go that path, get accepted into Harvard Business School. So I was fortunate enough to do that for two years up in Boston. And then when I was at, at business school, I found out about this whole concept of entrepreneurship through acquisition. And really, at the beginning, I was skeptical about it. But when, once I learned more about it, I really decided, okay, this is definitely what I'm going to do eventually. I, I didn't know when I was going to do it exactly. But then I graduated uh, from business school and, and got a job at a digital marketing company uh, called Red Ventures. And I worked there for about a year and really got reconnected with this whole world of websites and online businesses that I kind of had touched from when I was in high school, I started getting involved with websites, you know, the early 2000s. I had an Angel Fire website and all kinds of websites, Max Pages. But I, I got very disconnected from it. But working at the digital marketing company, it kind of connected, reconnected me with all that and made me realize, crap, there's a, actually a lot of money in, in, in these online businesses. And it, with that experience, I realized that, that I kind of actually put that knowledge on on a drawer somewhere. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this digital marketing stuff for a bit. And then I'll, I'll go do the entrepreneurship through acquisition that I found out during business school. So anyways, long story short, after a year working at Red Ventures at that digital marketing company, I decided to quit. I moved back to Puerto Rico by myself to look for a business to buy in Puerto Rico. My plan was to buy a business that was a local service business in Puerto Rico 
for a number of reasons that that I can go into later on if you want. But then that was in December 2019. So March 2020 hit and COVID hits and it changes the the panorama of business everywhere. And it's hard for us to, you know, look back at that time now, you know, with the with the rose colored lenses that, that we have. But at the time when that happened, there was a great amount of uncertainty as to what was going to happen in the world and, and all businesses in general. So I, and anyways, I, I actually decided to shift my uh, focus then from a search in Puerto Rico to a search to a digital business and eventually ended up the business that I acquired and run and operate today as my. Yeah. Name. Excellent, yep. man. No, I, I really, you know, I had no idea about your, your, technical background or academic background so that that's exciting to hear that somebody that has gone down that path and then ended up in this acquisition world that's fascinated so congrats to you on that and you know i think what's interesting before we dive into kind of your business and i I definitely want to go there you know as soon as possible but i want to have the audience understand that somebody like you that was setting a particular you know, path and you were very specific about what you were doing back then, you had a career, you could absolutely change not only the trajectory of your career, but your whole life by one decision. I mean, of course, we'll get into the details on how the business and the process and like all the challenges that comes to, you know, somebody that's wanting to buy a business, but, you know, I would love to expand a little bit more. What are some of the challenges that you found when making this decision and saying, you know what, I, I can do this. I think before recording this podcast, you and I, we chat about, you know, working at, uh, at a company like the one you mentioned, uh, Red Ventures, gave, gave you exposure. But what was kind of like the big challenge for you to, to say, you know what, you know, I can overcome that. And then you did, you know. Yeah. So you, you bring up a very good point. I think it, it is definitely a decision that when you decide to embark on this path, just kind of completely changes, you know, it will potentially change your career, definitely changes the way you look at business and life. And I think the one common thing that you will find across, I don't know, maybe 80%, 80%, 90% of all acquisition entrepreneurs is that most people didn't even really know this option existed or, or you know, was a thing or was a really viable option, you know, until maybe a couple of years before they actually go down the path and embark on it. It's just not something that you hear about a lot, particularly not... I mean, you always hear about mergers and acquisitions, but you don't really hear a lot about somebody, you know, going, from, you know, from doing nothing <laughs> to, you know, go stepping in and running a, a business full time, you know, that's already running and profitable. So, yeah, qu- a question real quick before, yeah. before, and sorry I interrupt, but no, go ahead. Did did you take any classes, or was was that a combination of books or classes, or was it just more? I, I know I, I can't remember if it's Stanford or Harvard, or I think there's a third one that they do host these sessions about acquisition entrepreneurship. So was that kind of one of the core things that happened to you? Or was no. it more, I know yeah. there's this book, Buy Them Build, that a lot of people read, and it's kind of like, you know, an epiphany for a lot of people. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. My epiphany was definitely taking the class. There's a class at Harvard called Financial Management of Smaller Firms. And I remember somebody just in the hallway had recommended in, in the dorms that I was living in recommended that I take that class for second year. And they're like, hey, if you want a finance class, that's fun. 
but like not too hard, take this. And then I would say, well, okay, I'll, I'll take it as an elective. I had no idea what it was because the name just sounds like actually, you know, like running small business, like running family business. It doesn't sound anything about entrepreneurship through acquisition. But when we got into the class, that's basically what it was. It was every case we were doing, every class we were looking at a different case of an actual entrepreneur, usually someone right out of business school that had gone out and had bought a business and, and, and the challenges that they had gone through the process or how they had gone through the process. And as we got, you know, as we were seeing more and more of these cases, eventually it, I started to think, well, well, maybe I can do this as you see other people, you know, embark, embark on that path. And so I had decided that, that I was going to do it by the time I, 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 you know, had finished that classes and stuff. I was still pretty unsure. But what really finally gave me the, the push to just go ahead and do and quit my job and, and go ahead with it was watching the people that I graduated with that had been searching for a year, actually getting to closing on their acquisitions and, and stepping in, like doing, like seeing people I actually knew myself do it. And then knowing, I mean, they're, they're very smart people, but also, you know, people with similar backgrounds and some of them were, were veterans or, you know, traditional private equity experience or stuff like that. You know, I saw these people can do it and perhaps I can do it. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and take the plunge. Yeah, that's definitely quite a, quite a great way to get exposed to, yeah, it is possible. And that's, I think that's one of the main reasons I want to do this podcast as well is just showcase that it's not one path only. There could be many different ways and whatnot. So yes. you were saying something about your criteria. I think I'd love to touch base on that. You say something about Puerto Rico. Initially, that was your kind of target and then it evolved. What happened there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that, that my professors, that, so the class that I took, these financial management of small firms was uh, given by two professors called Roy Sutcuff and Rick Ruback. And they, they actually have a book called the, the HBR Guide to Buying a Small Business, which I recommend anybody that's interested in acquisition entrepreneurship read. And they advocate very much for one certain kind of business. And that's basically, I basically copied their criteria over and just applied it to the Puerto Rican market. And and the criteria that they stress is number one is recurring revenue, you know, having customers that come back to the business uh, year after year. One of the things that's also in there is that the business has been around for a long time. Ideally in the offline world, you know, you want something that's like 20 years plus. Um, high margins. So you want ideally even dot margins of greater than 30% or 20 or 30%, at least, at least about 20%. And because, because that's usually a proxy for market power and, and, you know, how well the operation is run. And then what was the other thing is that, oh, definitely low cyclicality. So, because, and this is something that I, I, I think a lot of people don't think when they're looking at, at, at this stuff. And, and it's something that's very important because it's, I mean, depending on the financing that you're going to use, but if you're going to use, for example, an SBA loan, which is what I used, and you're going to personal guarantee a ton of debt, and you're going to put a ton of leverage on the business, and you have a cyclical business, cyclical being like, for example, oil or you know something that's construction, something that's very tied to the economic cycles, and we go into a recession or something, then you're going to be in a world of hurt with you know, on all the debt that you have. And before when it happened, before the business had all that debt, then maybe you could just ride through it. But if you have a ton of debt, it, it could become difficult. And then I was looking for a business doing between seven fifty thousand and one million in EBITDA here in, in and I was looking in Puerto Rico because nobody else 
was searching in Puerto Rico, at least at the time when I was. And so my thesis was that there was a bunch of people that, a bunch of businesses that needed an ownership transition. And the same thesis that's basically true anywhere in the States and in a lot of the, almost every country in the world. But here it was just a little bit more pronounced because there had been a lot of immigration for the younger generations. And then the other piece of it was that when now Puerto Rico is actually kind of bouncing and having a bit of an economic renaissance. But when I moved here, it certainly wasn't the case. You know, we were coming at, at the back of a 15-year period of economic contraction. Yet my belief was that there were still opportunities and productive sectors of the economy that were going to continue to generate value. And so those were basically the criteria that I had as I was looking for a business to buy. I was also looking for not a lot of CapEx. So mainly services, asset light businesses is what I was looking at. Yeah. And that was kind of your core focus for a year, two years or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, well, that was my focus at least for half a year. And I had, I, I did get a Puerto Rican business under LOI. That was a really good business. It, it did software consulting for the government, for some government agencies here in, in Puerto Rico. And it was a beautiful business and, and, you know, fit all my criteria with everything, with the exception of customer concentration. That, so that's another thing that I didn't uh, mention in my criteria, but ideally you don't want, you know, one customer to be half of your revenue or stuff like that. And this business that I had under LOI had a very large exposure to the, to the Puerto Rican government, as I was mentioning. And that just, I didn't feel great about it because of, you know, being tied politically to being limited to what I could say in the future, stuff like that. But, but the business was a great business. I just decided to pass on it for personal reasons. But yeah, I, I did that for like six months. And once I stopped, once I let go, once I killed that deal, I, my search was heavily affected by COVID also because not only because of the business uncertainty, because, but my deal sourcing process relied heavily on networking and having coffee chats with people. And that wasn't happening, you know, at the beginning of COVID. And so that, you know, kind of killed my funnel and I started looking at other avenues. And my first foray actually into, before I fully shifted to an online business search was I bought a couple of small businesses on Flippa. And, I, and so I experimented with that a little bit. And yeah, I, I, I learned a few things there and, you know, kind of got the confidence. Well, I'll just go ahead and do full, you know, digital search. Yeah. Interesting. And do you remember if it was like 50, 100 or more business that you looked throughout your whole journey for buying your main core business, which we will talk about in a second? Yeah, it was definitely in the hundreds. When I, I think when I shifted, depends on how I look at it, if I count the, the, the Puerto Rico search or, or I almost bucket them into two different searches. I think if I, if I just look at the online businesses that I looked at, it was maybe, I don't know, north of 100, maybe between 100 and 200. And those are ones that when I say looked at is, is that I like actually, you know, gave some amount of serious consideration. You know, I at least requested a you know, if it was through a broker, I, I requested a SIM or, you know, I, I, I signed the NDA to get the prospectus. I looked at the prospectus. Or if it was a, a proprietary deal, then I at least, you know, had some email exchanges with, with the owner. Those were kind of, you know, as far as my minimum of considering a, a deal looked at. Yeah, and that that's a whole, I, w- I wouldn't say a full-time job, but it's definitely super 
intense and time consuming and there's ways that people can automate some of this stuff and whatnot and but i'll say for the people listening that that's the core thing where throughout this process is it's it's a mindset game and it's the patience that it's needed is a requirement it's not optional otherwise you're just gonna either get into a bad business or just gonna make a terrible decision on buying a business now I oh, yeah. before yeah we and, in, and, and sorry ahead. Sorry to jump in on that, but what you said about mindset and all that is key because it is, it is. If you're coming to embark on this journey, you know there's no free lunch, and it is especially the searching part at the beginning. It is emotionally, it can be very draining because you know, especially as you you're a few months into it. At the beginning, it's it's exciting and stuff. A few months into it, you can feel like you you're not doing anything. You know, sometimes your family doesn't understand your spouse you know they see that well i mean what what exactly are you doing all day you feel like you know your bank account is only going in one direction and so it it can be it can be hard to get validation that you're actually moving in the right direction because you don't you're not really getting feedback you know from anything on (laughs) on whether you're making progress or not yeah and i i know i don't want to get distracted about it but i think that uh, just to to touch base on that that's ended up i ended up having to get a W2 job, which I haven't had in like six years. So the first year of search, I did exactly what you're saying. And then after that, I was so exhausted and I was just consuming my own capital and spending money like if I had a business, because I used to have a business, I sold that one. Long story short, it was one of the best things that I I done, just getting a a W2 job for a year that helped me out with the search. So I was working remotely. I'll finish up with my full-time job. And then I'll get going with all the stuff that I had to, for the search. And it really shifted a lot of the anxiety and the concerns and whatnot. So, yeah, that's my two cents in here. Now, going back to your experience, like you went through a lot of academic training. Uh, that book is highly, highly recommended. So I'll drop out a link in the show notes. Are there a few things you can remember, like seeing the theory and then going and doing it? Some of the things that surprised you to be like, oh, it sounds pretty easy. Then <laughs> you jump in into it and you found all these challenges and difficulties. Any any of those that you can remember? Yeah. Well, I do remember. You know, some of the things that they that that they mentioned that you know they 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 did simplify and are easy. And uh, it does turn out that things are easy. Is like for example, the valuations. I think you know in business school and all kinds of different places. You know, you go through all these complicated spreadsheets. And, you know, you look at a, a thousand different factors into, you know, how to value business. And then, you know, what you see is that, well, in the real world, we just take this number here at the bottom line and then we multiply it by three or by four. And that's that's what we do. And that, you know, 90, 95 percent of the truth that is that is that, you know, you may have an app back here or there. But, you know, it's 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 really all that simple, at least in terms of, you know, the valuing uh, a business and stuff like that, you know. One of the things that are hard is, you know, at the end of the day, this you're running, you're basically running a sales funnel. You're trying to do, it's basically the best way to think about search as a job is is you're almost like a like an SDR or or, or, or you know a business development representative, you know, at a, at a SaaS startup or, or whatever. You know, you're doing a B two B sales job, and so you've got this funnel. 
and you've got you know to, to talk to a bunch of people and then you just keep those leads moving along the pipeline and so i think if, if you actually you know if, if you're thinking about getting a job prior to doing a search or something if you can figure out some way to work in b2b sales or, or if you have a business and you already do that then that sort of skill set is going to lend itself well to this i didn't have any of that you know as an engineer i really didn't have any exposure to the financials or or, or even customers or anything like that. So all that was just very foreign to me. And and so I, I think, you know, just getting the reps with talking to people and, and you know, having confidence as you're pitching yourself. I, I think that's actually one of the, you know, you develop during the first. So I know I'm kind of going uh, everywhere around with this, but I'm just thinking through the process of my search. And I think everybody goes through an evolution of the search. And it's very rare that you see people that say, okay, yeah, I searched for one month. I found the business I wanted to buy and then I, I bought it and all that. Because the reason is you go through a growth process. It's not only just that you're funneling through a bunch of different prospects. It's that you yourself as a searcher grow and I've heard of many people that actually, you know, if you find your dream job, your dream business in the first month, you actually probably won't close on it because you, you're not skilled enough with the whole process of selling to actually get it closed because you, you have to sell to a bunch of different parties. You have to sell to the, you have to sell yourself to the seller. You have to sell the deal to the bank or to whoever's financing. If you have investors, you got to sell the deal to the investors and, you know, you got to sell yourself to customers and employees once you actually consummate a transaction and so that whole those and all those are very distinct pitches that get ironed out over time as you practice and just get the reps in so there's there's just no getting around that you actually kind of gotta do the grunt work and get some reps in talk to owners and then everything's gonna flow better as time goes on yeah great point yeah and i'm just also thinking about all the uh conversations and like you mentioned like it's it's a sales process it's selling all day long and now you know you have to maintain the excitement but also be very uh you know concise and strategic about like why are you the right buyer and not mm -hmm. all the other ones especially with a deal that is represented by a broker my deal was an off-market deal so it was way way more difficult as well but at the same time it allowed me to build that rapport so for the people listening again what i'm saying like if you're not too excited about sales. You never done it. That set of skills it can be extremely beneficial. It doesn't mean that you have to do cold call and selling and like all that stuff. Or, but de definitely getting to talk to strangers and setting appointments and setting building rapport and like prospecting and so yeah, good stuff. Now with with the experience that you saw on on business school versus like actually going and running a business. I think Tim Ferriss, he talks about like, I can't remember if he, instead of going to business school, he went ahead and invested in a bunch of startups or something like, it's a crazy yeah. story about that. But, but I'm, I'm super curious to know, like somebody that has done it, the MBA, and now you're doing, let's say a second MBA with actually running a you uh -huh. know, seven figure business, you bought it. You know, what are some of the differences between what you saw in the classroom versus now what you're seeing in, in kind of running this acquisition? Yeah, I think the main thing is, you know, all business school programs are really they're they're 100 years old and so they they were they've been intended to mint the general managers and the CEOs of the Fortune 500. And so they really the whole thing is really geared towards, you know, at least at Harvard getting you to be a general manager 
at some Fortune 500 company. And so that implies that, you know, when you go in, there's all this infrastructure and a lot of other stuff, uh, a lot of other people that do stuff that you ideally won't have to do. When when you go into a small business, uh, a lot of times, you know, all that infrastructure is not going to be there. And especially the smaller you go, you know, the, the more so. So <laughs> I think that those are, are, are just some of the things that come to mind. I do think that business school was very helpful for me. I, I, I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, they had, they did business in undergrad, you know, that it wasn't like super helpful, but at least for me, it just helps to really just look at a whole bunch of different businesses. And so you can think of the search process itself almost as like a, a kind of MBA. You know, the value that I got the most was just looking at a whole bunch of different businesses. And so I just know that, you know, these businesses generally have better margins because of X and X and X, because you just looked at a ton. You know, intuition is really nothing else than having, having seen the same thing a whole bunch of different times. And so then, you know, when it comes around the, the 50th time, well, you already recognize everything about it because you've seen it 49 different times already. So, yeah, I think, I, th- I think, you know, whether I do, I don't do any uh, fancy financial models or stuff day to day on my business. I do basic Excel stuff that, that you can look, probably look on YouTube a day. As far as, you know, doing the Tim Ferriss thing, you know, versus actually spending the money on an MBA, well, well, it's different because, you know, for an MBA, you have business school, you know, you have student loans and you have scholarships and stuff. So it's not really apples to apples, right? Unless you're investing cash for cash. But yep, that, those are just some of my thoughts. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, I mean, the only other thing that I can think of is people listening that are considering the SBA path and like, it's either like getting a loan for an MBA or getting a loan to run a seven figures. Now we do not suggest, I, I think what I'm doing, I don't know about you, Jaime, but what I'm doing is like, I don't recommend this path to anybody unless unless they're truly business people. Because initially when I got into it, as I heard the first time about Agustin Entrepreneurship, I want to tell everybody like, you should be buying business. Why are you doing your life? You're not buying business. <laughs> now, it's kind of like, wow, this is very complex. And I think you know, part, <laughs> of, you know, part of the job of like the instructors that work with you at Harvard and they wrote the book is like, showing that it's possible, like you said, and that attracted you and invited you. But then if we were to talk about all the crazy stories and like all the things that have gone wrong in, in this type of leverage buyouts or like, you know, like you say, putting a personal guarantee for these loans. I mean, literally, I, I'm not going to get into the story in this, in this episode, but I, I met somebody two weeks ago that uh, bought a business with SBA loan and grew from 400k to 7 million in three years, and then the business went completely uh, to zero after COVID. So wow, very yeah. scary. And he was driving an Uber for me. We we're chatting like 10 minutes in the conversation. We're both in tears. So it was super, super, super intense. You know, I'm still in touch with him. We're chatting. And we're you know we build a friendship so far, but that's the those are the stories that you didn't hear out there. It's still very risky. It's crazy that you and I were doing this and uh, the yeah. listeners are excited about it, but it's still super rewarding. Like if it's done well, it can be, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, life changing. So now, you know, with that context, you know, I'd love to sh- shift gears and just talk about a little bit of, of, you know, your business, the business you bought. You mentioned you transitioned from Puerto Rico to digital business. Um, I'm pretty sure based in the US, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mainly I, I was looking 
So since I was looking to finance uh, mainly with using an SBA loan, I, I had the business. The main requirements for that is, is the business has to be U.S. domiciled and that it has to have relatively clean books. And, you know, the tax returns for the past two years can justify, you know, can be justified the valuation that the business is asking for. Totally. And so what was the business you bought? And like, what, what was kind of your first reaction when you saw it? Did, did you knew that, did you know that that was kind of, okay, this is the business, like you're 100% excited and you're ready to it? Or was it more like, oh, let me check this out. And like, what was that process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so actually what I was looking for, I was mainly looking for membership sites or, or I was looking for something with some kind of content angle. So that, that's kind of where my experience was in, in content sites and affiliate marketing and that type of stuff. And I had some slight experience with membership. And I, I liked membership because it had recurring revenue and it didn't seem to be as competed as SaaS or, or some of the other stuff. So I liked all that sector. But I had you know set up all my alerts on BizBuyZell and, and all the other brokers and I saw one day that this one showed up as Dental Lead Generation Agency. And that just really excited me because I knew dental and, you know, just the whole medical. I hadn't done a lot in it, but I knew it was a high money space in terms of affiliate and content and, and all that um, stuff. And then I really liked that it said Lead Gen because I, I like Lead Gen as a monetization model. I didn't like that it was an agency. So I, I actively, I didn't, I didn't want to buy an agency. And, and I was like very uh adamant about that before i ended up buying what it. was that well the the reason i didn't like agencies is because seo agencies i'll start with seo agencies so so in seo agencies you are billing the client on hours or or scope or or whatever but the deliverable and so your deliverables that, that you're actually giving the client or I, I put some content on your side i built links or whatever but what the client actually wants when they pay you is to get more organic traffic, which you really don't have control over. So there, there's kind of a, a, a misalignment there, not of incentives, but, you know, the whole it's difficult. There's a lot of risk there that you, you're not directly in control in that client relationship. You know, when somebody pays you, if you have a, a garbage collecting businesses and somebody pays you, for you know to collect their garbage you have full control over every step in that process other than you know the the, the owners putting the the trash out not so much with really any aspect of digital marketing even in ppc there there's a, a similar issue but not as much you know there's all there, there can always be dynamics that competitive dynamics in the market that you're operating in that you know no matter how much how good of a job you do you know it may just not be profitable for the client or, or whatever so i didn't like those aspects of it but as I looked at this agency in particular, it was really set up more like a content site network that had retail lead buyers, but those retail lead buyers really were very low maintenance. So the sellers represented to me that they rarely, rarely ever, that they rarely ever talked to their clients. And a year after buying the business, I, I can attest to that, that I rarely, <laughs> I rarely ever talked to my clients. And, and that's, you know, that's not uh, to say that, that we're not giving them services, but it's just that things are going well and, you know, they're getting leads every month. And so, you know, what's what's there to talk about? Let's just, you know, let's just keep the, ro the leads rolling in. <laughs> and so, yeah, those were, and, and as far as how uh, how I got deeper into the business, 
I like Dental Legion. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out, look for some more information. I, I got the prospectus, got on a call, and you know things were looking exciting. The, the business is called, to just go a little bit more into detail in the business, it's called Patients for You, and we do emergency, we specialize in getting dentists emergency patients. And so if, if you're a dentist and you have a practice that's maybe not struggling, but you're looking to get it more busy, you call us. And we get you emergency patients that can help fill holes in your schedule and make your practice more. And so I, I also like that that emergency patient niche is kind of recession proof. You know, people are always, you know, they may they may not be always be getting the, the veneers and, and all that. But, you know, if, if you need a tooth pulled out, you're going to get it pulled out because if not, you know, you're in a world of hurt. And so it, it's counter cyclical in that sense. But yeah, those, those are the things that attracted me. The other thing that attracted me about the business is that the clients had been, first of all, it was started in 2008, which for an online business is pretty really, really long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically like two, like 50 years. And the, the average client had been with them at the time when I bought it for 70 years. And now that I have it, it's, you know, it's eight, eight and change. And so to have clients stick around for seven or eight years, something obviously has to be going right. Like, I don't know that that's basically the first things that jumped out of me. Okay. So highly recurring revenue clients have been around for a long time. I don't know exactly what the secret sauce is here, but I know something's going right. Those were kind of my thoughts going into it. Totally. So, and, and at the time, it's a seven-figure business being around for a few years. In terms of team, was it a large team, a small team, or contractors? Or Yeah. So, I bought the business with no team, actually. So, it was two brothers that ran it, and one of the brothers' wives did some work on the business. And also one of the brothers had a VA that he shared across another business. But it was mainly really just this, this, those two brothers that did most of the work. And so I first got the business. I I was doing everything during the first uh, two months as we transitioned with the brothers helping me a little bit during the transition. And then I started hiring some folks to really freelancers off op work that to help me with some of the tasks that were more repetitive of the business, but that did take up a lot of time. And I started with that and then have built my team slowly over time. So now it's me plus five freelancers. One of them is full-time and the other four are on a part-time basis doing specific and dealing with specific aspects of the business. Excellent. Are, are you guys the primary source of those leads for your clients or all through Google AdWords, or what's, or is it SEO or both? Or yeah, so we do a combination of local SEO and Google AdWords, and we are working on building an authority site so that you know we get we get some more of those leads through just organic, the, the pure organic, not just the local listings. But those are the primary sources right now. Interesting. Okay, excellent. And and what do you say is is, is it your goal in a few years? Hold it, sell it, or you're still exploring those options? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I'll probably run it, if not forever, for a very long time. At least not, there's no plans to sell it in the next five to seven years. Yeah. And have you thought about buying more or you just want to focus on this one for now? Yeah, so I, that that's something I think about every day. And it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer. I definitely want to do another acquisition at some point in my professional career, I, I'm not sure when exactly that is, whether that's early next year or, or in a couple of years and whether it's going to be a bolt on 
to this or it's or, or, or we get this business to where it doesn't require a whole lot of my time and then I, I you know it becomes more of a hold co of, of various different businesses I'm not I haven't fully uh, wrapped my head around you know what what that model is that's gonna work for me yeah I know it makes sense but first of all you know like just the fact that you close on a business I mean that that puts you in the you know top three percent of people that go through this journey I think I saw a stat about like you know over sixty percent of businesses listed for sale never sell, <laughs> and then I want to see more stats as well as about all these people that are now hearing about this opportunity and like there's a, a few influencers out there which I respect and one of them I really really admire his his genius but they they're preaching about like oh you can buy a business with no money down which it is possible but a lot of the businesses that you and I saw out there. They're very well established and it, it would be very tricky to try to get something like that, like, you know, a seven, eight figure business for no money down. It is possible, but I would say that's more for like brick and mortar, like people that are retiring and whatnot. But long story short, I think there's a lot of people out there excited about buying businesses, especially with no money down. But there's a f- very few that really come through. And I talked to a few brokers, you know about this topic and they also get you know frustrated when as a broker they have somebody with no business experience wanting to buy a business <laughs> and then you know with no money <laughs> yeah so, yeah, yeah but you yeah, did yeah. it man so congrats on that and you know yeah. I, I think it's fascinating that that you know you've been through that journey now with i did put some money but i do actually know some friends that have bought you know high seven figure businesses with no money down on themselves now they did bring investors aboard so that right. that's always an option but it also adds a layer of complexity to the whole operation so there's something yes, it does. yeah we've been all you have now in the past you know if you could go back five years ago are there a few things you can think of that you want to focus on compared to what you're doing now like either deal size or type of business or you know i think that that maybe that could be the next topic about like either financing or investor but for now anything else that you can think of so basically what if i if i knew five years ago that i was going to be doing this now what would i have done differently yeah or, or or put it this way like if with the knowledge that you have you could start you know you go back to five years ago but you have all the knowledge that you have what would you focus on is it the same type of business or would you change overall your thesis on investing in this type of businesses yeah 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 so you know one thing i'd really like about the business that I bought is that everything I got exactly what I was expecting. You know, I, I knew, I, I felt like I knew where the skeletons were in the closet and, and the skeletons that I have found, I already knew they were there. So I, I, I felt like I knew what I, what I was getting into. And regarding my thesis, I, I think I probably would have stayed the, the same. I, I, I don't know that I, I would have change it a whole lot i actually still think that there's a bunch of opportunity in puerto rico so at, at, at some point in my life i'd like to do something there but yeah you know if there's one thing that i could change i, I probably and it's hard you know you, you get a symptom of grass is always greener on the other side i think you know one thing that i would say for people that are searching is that you know whatever you think is your magic number as far as the size of the business that you want, that's that's going to like supply your daily needs, and and you know you're going to be comfortable financially, you know I would take that number and probably you know at least add fifty percent to it, probably double it, because there's 
there's a bunch of expenses that you're going to incur, at least during the first year of owning the business that, you know, aren't really, some of them aren't even going to be obvious. Like I, I've talked to people that, or, or that, you know, you could have never foreseen, like I, I've talked to the, to people that have said that, you know, oh, oh, like a year into it, I had to renew all these licenses or whatever that I had no idea even during my diligence that I had to renew when that was like 50,000 or, or stuff like that. Or maybe you, you want to add some staff, you need to add some staff because as you coming in as the new owner, you, you're not going to have the same level of productivity than the previous owner that, you know, they've been doing it for 10 years. So it takes them, you know, 30 minutes to do something that's going to, you know, take you four hours to figure out. So I would say that probably, you know, go a little bigger than what you think you need to, to go. Because the one thing that people always struggle with, and this is something that I still get tempted with, and, and I'm sure everybody does, is that you think, oh, oh, the smaller is less risk. But it's usually the other way around. The, the smaller, the more the more risk there is because everything's just more fragile in the business. And, you know, there's less money to play around with or, or less money to take a hit and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, great stuff in there. Yeah, it's the the process is very similar. Of course, like after you get to like three to five or even ten million dollars asking price, there's gonna be more people related issues. So like performance and management and like legal yeah. HR, which more complex. But if if we're talking about digital business, like you're saying, Jaime, I think I will agree with you in terms of it. It's about the same process. You know, it, you do have some more complexity. When you have a lot of, you know, bills coming in or out or invoicing and like, but all of that, it's part of, you know, why you have a team, you know, yeah. and so to what you were saying. Great. Now, in terms of, like, I know you went through, you, you self-financed this, well, not self-financed, but you you went through SBA finance and you put yourself invested into this, uh, only in, in, on, on this deal. Did you ever get to go through the process of evaluating investors, not for this deal, but in general, or have you even thought now that you don't distill like, oh, what would it look like to work with investors for another deal? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it's, I mean, the the Puerto Rican company I had under LOI, that company was doing around a million in EBITDA. And I couldn't, and especially because it had some customer concentration and wasn't going to fit for SBA, I wasn't going to be able to to finance that equity check myself, you know, not by a long shot. And so I was going through the process of pitching investors on that deal before I ended up killing it. So, uh, yeah, I, I have some experience in, in going through that. I think, you know, one of the things that I struggled to communicate in this, I think it, it, this was more of just the way I was selling it. But nowadays, there there is a, a more sophisticated ecosystem of people that invest in what's called self-funded searchers, which is, you know, people that are independently looking for a business, you know, kind of that, like what we were talking about and need some checks to fill the equity gap for the financing. And so the good thing about this network now is that, you know, there's not really a set of uniform terms, but people are familiar with the with the deals and, and the kind of businesses and kind of returns that they get. And so they, they, don't, they don't need like a crazy growth performer to get excited about it. So that that's something to be aware of. If you're going to be shopping your deal to investors, you need to be kind of aware of what their risk appetite and, and what kind of stuff they're they're looking for. So if you know if you're buying a plumbing company, like don't pitch it to you know a guy that does tech VC because they're not you know they're not going to be they're gonna, there's nothing for them to get excited to 
get into it. And they're going to be looking for some crazy growth scenario that you're never going to do. And that's not right for the business. So, you know, you have to kind of match your investors to whatever your, your deal or, or what you're looking for. And so, but, but investors can be a, a powerful thing. I, I haven't done anything yet with investors. I really value, you know, kind of the whole reason I got into this whole game was because I really value independence and everything. So I have, you know, some stuff to, you know, before I, I, I fully bring investors on more and all that, but they're, they're definitely a tool, something to consider for, you know, as you're evaluating your different options, your different sources of capital. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and, you know, the name of the show, Invest and Scale, is just because that's what you've been doing for, you know, all the past few months that since you bought the business, you have become an investor in your own business and then you're mm-hmm. scaling that business. So it's a different mindset being a, a regular entrepreneur. And now, and that's why the focus of this podcast about, you know, entrepreneurial investors. Like, yes, you are an entrepreneur, but you're also an investor. You're investing in the business that you acquire. You put some money in. Some people put, you know, a whole, like the whole thing, like some people, like you mentioned, don't put anything. They still buy businesses and, but still it's an investment of time, knowledge and opportunity cost is huge because basically if you buy a business like this, you definitely want to pay a lot of attention, at least at the beginning, like you were saying, takes a lot of bandwidth, uh, unless there's a management team, which is not the case for you and I with our acquisitions, but, you know, super inspiring to hear your journey, Jaime. And cannot wait to hear more of what you're going to be doing. Hopefully, we can have you again in the show. Any final advice for entrepreneurial investors that are, you know, wanting to pursue this path and are just getting into it now? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, as far as, as advice is definitely read the, the book, the HBR Guide to Buying a Small Business, and talk to some people that have done it. I think the one thing that you'll find about the, the entrepreneurship through acquisition community which a lot of them are on searchfunder.com, which is also a great resource, is that people are very open to talking and helping, you know, with no expectation of, of any return or anything. You know, there's just, it's just, I had a lot of people help me during my journey. So I'm very happy to, you know, help people as they're evaluating whether the option is for them. You know, the few things to keep in mind is there are that it's, it's an amazing opportunity. Make sure you understand the different financing options and how they fit into different asset classes so that you can evaluate what option is right for you. And then also just be prepared for kind of the emotional roller coaster that it's going to be. So if, if you do decide to embark on this path, make sure that your significant or other, you know, is aware of, of what you're doing and is on board and everything because you're some support from your family, you know, during those difficult times. Absolutely. Hi, man. Thank you so much, man. And congratulations again for your success. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Great. So we'll have the links to contact Jaime and and all the information about the show today on the show notes and this is Invest and Scale your host Gabriel Murillo until next week